that's not planned. That's that's planning for failure. That's like literally you're driving and just saying, you know what, I'm gonna go straight. I'm gonna hope there's no cliff right there. Uh, I'm gonna hope it's just a straight road. This episode of the Bluemex podcast is brought to you by NetWin Place. NetWin Place is a co-working office space based in Scarborough. Co-working is quickly taking the working world by storm. Entrepreneurs of all sorts can take advantage of the many benefits offered by co-working spaces. NetWin Place is focused on small businesses, entrepreneurs, professionals, and anyone else in between. Their 10,000 square foot shared office space is ready to help anyone make their business dream a reality. Okay, Johnny. Yeah, what's up? Welcome to Bluemex Podcast, bro. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. So you're an interesting guy. Um, you're a day trader, right? Mm -hmm. At least you started off your career as a day trader. Mm -hmm. um, you actually used to go to UTSC, mm -hmm. right? And you dropped out to become a tra day trader. Is that right? Uh, what's I, the story there? So I finished like my degree at UTSC. So you finished your degree? Yeah, went to CPA. I was about to actually finish my CPA. Like I was a little bit before uh, the CP. And after the CP, I was like, okay, you know what? Like, I, I just can't do this. Like, I'm not passionate about accounting at all. It mm. just, I felt like I was dying, right? Yeah. So I was just, okay, whatever, screw this. Like, I'm just gonna stay like, with my day trading. Okay. Mm. So what got you into day trading? Like, how, why go from accounting to day trading? What got you into accounting? Oh, um, I was actually just like going with the flow because, you know, originally I came into UTSC, I was like looking to do like finance, but, you know, finance was a little hard. Accounting seemed to be like the easiest thing for me to do. So based on that, I just ended up going into accounting, right? But mm -hmm. afterwards, like branching off how I did like the day trading was, I took on a lot of debt, right? Like 110K in debt for like a 20 year old, that's ridiculous, right? So the first thing you did was borrow money to go day trade? School, no, like it was actually like tuition, right? Oh, tuition? Yes. Okay, so that's a different type of bet, right? <laughs> yeah, I had to like pay off all that. I had to work like multiple jobs. I was like a teaching assistant yep. here, like at UTSC. I was like a manager at McDonald's. Uh, and I was like working like a call center. Mm. <laughs> so afterwards, like when I paid off all that stuff, what I had to do was, uh, you know, I had to find like other ways to make money, right? So day trading was obviously like one of them. And when I went into like day trading, uh, what technically happened for me at first was, you know, the first couple of weeks I made like, you know, $200 per day, $500 per day. And I was thinking like, why am I working like eight hours for this, right? And then I got cocky. I blew up like $8,000 of my own money. Uh, 13k at the time, right? 8k was gone, and then uh, with like whatever remained there, I had, I was like, I had to look for like a mentor, right? Okay. So, yeah, like when I once upon so you you started looking for a mentor mm -hmm. to help you through that because you got too cocky, mm -hmm. right? And that led you to make some mistakes mm -hmm. in the the market. Mm -hmm. um, okay, let's let's digest that for a second, mm -hmm. right? So, you started day trading on the side for fun, like, mm -hmm. or was it like a legitimate? I'm gonna make money doing this. Uh, it was more like I was reading Tony Robbins' book, like Money Mastered a Game. Yeah. And during that time, uh, you know, I was just like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll just put my money into like long-term ETFs, S and P 500, all the typical mumble jumbo. Yeah. And then uh, what happened was my friend was like, oh, yo, Johnny, you could be doing day trading. I'm like, no, like I can't. Too risky, yeah. Yeah, it's too risky. So you know, I dumped into some penny stocks, and then it was like an experiment, right? When I did the experiment afterwards, I was like, whoa, this, this is doable, right? I was like, I just need to find a way to make this consistent. And, you know, like, I've been a gamer all my life, you know, like, I like to play the markets and the games, right? So I was like, okay, I knew one day I was going to go on the stock market somehow. So here I am. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So you start off with low risk, right? High risk. Went right to the high risk. Really high risk. So yeah. you, you, what is that? There's penny stocks? That's yep, what you consider high stocks. risk, right? Mm -hmm. So you experiment with that. What were you experimenting with? Like a few hundred dollars? Like uh, no, it was actually with like my full like ten thousand dollar account. <laughs> right into penny stocks, yeah. high aggressive. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's and you experienced some good success, or you? Oh, sir. You gained some money out of that. Yep. That got your initial interest up. And yep. Your and then I completely had to blow up my account. Like that's where I lost everything, right? Okay. And then that's when eventually, like, I wanted to go and seek out a mentor. So with whatever money I had left, I had like three k, right? I was like. I kept bugging my mentor and I was like, please, like, just teach me. Like, so how'd you find uh, it? was actually, mentor, sorry. oh, uh, I can't really disclose his name. He wants okay. a secret, but like what happens is uh, it was actually like through one of my fr uh, family friends, like connections. Mm -hmm. So like when I kept bugging him and just hassling him, he, I was like, I just really don't want to work. Like I I'm, I'm willing to like drop out everything like CPA, like I'm, I'm just like done. Right. And eventually like through hassling him up, he's like, okay, you know what? Like 
I'll take you. So I gave him $3,000. Or money I had left, I had like 2000 So I like went straight in. And what happened on the, you mm -hmm. know, like first week I'm mentoring him, like under him, I made 30 k Right? And okay. I was an ups, like, that was an insane amount. I was like, I, I was feeling like I was the shit. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, I was like, oh, no problem. Be millionaire, no time, whatever. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So what happened afterwards was, uh, you know, following like, uh, you know, the coming days after, I lost 27 k because what happened was I didn't know risk management, right? Like it was just my losses kept getting bigger and bigger. And I was just thinking, I was like, no, this thing will come back up. And that's when I learned the hard truth of what a pump and dump is. Yeah. Like the institutions, they pump up the money and then they dump it. And that's where you get screwed over as yeah. a penny stock. It's a penny yeah. stock for a reason, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so your mentor, you found your mentor, you, you convinced him to, uh, to help you out. Now, what mm -hmm. were you looking for in a mentor? Honestly, like, why, like why just someone who could actually show me the path. And the main reason is because, like, you know that saying, it's like it's insanity to try to do the same thing over and hope for a different, like, result, right? Absolutely. And one thing I've always done is, like, you know, when I played games, like, every single time I wanted to get, you know, from weak to strong, there's always a guy to guide me or give me an initial, like, boost, right? So I need someone to give me, like, a boost in the right direction and also be, like, a positive influence, right? And that's kind of, like, what made me, like, go seek a mentor. and. You know, like at the beginning, I remember uh, he was actually like showing me like all the steps, and he's like, he's, he has the charts in front of me, right? And then uh, he's like, okay, so where do you think this is gonna go? So he, he like draws like a check mark. I'm like, okay, so let's have a look. It goes his direction. I was like, oh, whoa, that's, that's pretty crazy, right? And then he does another one, goes his direction, another five times. Everything was correct, and I was like, okay, I was sold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So he was making predictions on the live, on the live yep. market? Yep. It was okay. more like just reactions, right? Mm. Like there's a saying that goes, you know, don't try to predict what the S&P is trying to do. Mm. React to what's happening now. So it's like, what is price doing right now? Price is trying to tell me it's going to go up. So it's going to go up. And that's why I also like share a lot of like my students. Like don't predict, yeah. react, see what it is live. And yeah. So there, around this time, how old were you? Uh, I was only 20. You were 20? <laughs> yeah. When did you start this journey, like day trading? Uh, right at 20. All right at 20. Yeah. So this happened like for a few, within a few months. Yeah. You, uh, you started this, experienced success, failure, mm -hmm. wanted to find a mentor, found mm -hmm. a mentor, all within a few months, within mm -hmm. the same year. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a great age to get a mentor, mm -hmm. right? When you're especially that young, when you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this is like one of the main things, like the benefits of youth is, mm -hmm. right? When you don't know what you don't know, you st start doing things that mm -hmm. people think are impossible or crazy, and you experience this kind of growth. Mm -hmm. But not everyone gets to do that. Exactly. A lot of people end up repeating mistakes that they could easily avoid. Mm -hmm. And finding mentors like you did mm -hmm. that condenses that knowledge, mm -hmm. uh, that learning process mm -hmm. into a more condensed timeline. Now, the way that your mentor was making like predictions in the marketplace and things like that, well, what are those kind of tools? Like, is that what you, what you learned from him? Like, did he teach you the technical skills or was it more like personal skills to manage yourself, the soft skills? It was actually a mix of both. So, yeah. you know, the first one is always your emotions. That's the hardest. You got to be a robot when you trade. And, you know, one is uh, obviously, you know, not being like kind of dumb with your money, right? It's like don't revenge trade, make sure you risk manage. Uh, that was like the most important tool I actually had to learn. And then technicals, everything else came after. So number one in trading is, is you're a risk manager. You should never enter into a trade unless you have, you know, like something actually set up with an exposed amount of risk. Like if I enter a trade, I need to know like how much I'm willing to lose, right? It's like, am I losing a thousand? Am I losing ten thousand? Am I losing like whatever, right? So once you know that amount, it's your one percent of your account. Then you need to know how much you stand to gain, right? You need to have a plan. Most people just enter into a trade and say, you know, what? I'm just going to throw a random position size here and hope that like everything's going to go well. Mm. That's not a plan. That's that's planning for failure. That's like. Literally, you're driving and just saying, you know what, I'm going to go straight. I'm going to hope there's no cliff right there. Uh, I'm going to hope it's just a straight road and whatever, right? So that's kind of how uh, that happened. <laughs> that's awesome, right? Mm -hmm. When you hear these kind of journeys where uh, people go out experiencing things, mm -hmm. go through that failure early on, and find ways to go and learn faster, mm -hmm. um, you technically hear stories like yourself. Mm -hmm. You condense the knowledge gap, and you're, you're playing at a level higher than your, everyone else in your age. Is because you're now what 26, right? And you're still day trading, is that right? And now you're mentoring other people, mm -hmm. right? What, what else are you doing? Uh, I'm in real estate. I own like several other businesses. I'm in IPOs as well, 
and like what I'm really kind of just more passionate now is like I'm just trying to start like influence uh, more people. Mm -hmm. So if I'm able to influence more people to like you know get out of your nine to five, like work and focus on building the life you want, yeah, and like that's what really makes me feel like feel fulfilled, right? So I remember uh, one of my friends, uh, he was always saying to me, he's like, y you know, it's really weird because I find mm -hmm. that you're a type of guy that while everyone's working a nine to five, you're out here trying to buy your reality, right? Because money is power in this world. It's like, it's not gonna bring you happiness in every terms, but it does make it easier, right? Like if you look at a lot of the people I know, it's like the guys driving the Lamborghinis, you never see them upset. They're always, they're really happy when yeah. like they're living it, right? So I think like what I really just want to show people is that it's not that hard to become retired like at a young age, right? Like right now I'm pretty financially independent. Like I'm very comfortable. If I decided that I don't want to work anymore, I could be taken care of and I could just be lazy for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I just, I, I just don't find like fun in that, right? Like, so let's break that down a little uh, into motives, right? Mm -hmm. Like what mode, what's the motive there? Like you want to free up your time and work for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And is it working for yourself? Is it freedom? Like um, what motivates you to be, take on these risks and work independently rather than you know, mm -hmm. stick so to like a Yeah, I, I, I get what you mean. Yeah. Um, no, so most of the times it's just like, I want my own freedom. Like I feel like, you know, we're not put on this earth to just work a nine to five job and stay in a back office like till mm -hmm. you're like 70 and like about to die, right? And I find it kind of sad that society like s makes it in such a way that, oh, this is your life. You have to go to school, take on a lot of debt, you know, go get a job, pay off your debt, have a family, have kids, buy a house, buy a car, work until like, you know, you pay off your mortgage, which, you know, that's like the debt cycle, right? The rat race. And then eventually one day you're going to retire and have a life full of regrets and hmm. you kick the can. <laughs> that's so, a very pessimistic yeah. way of looking at it. And I, yeah. I share the same view. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, like whenever I've taken on a job or when I work for mm -hmm. uh, someone else, it's I see it more as a learning curve. When mm -hmm. you have your own, when you work for yourself, when you have your own companies, mm -hmm. uh, when you build your own businesses, you start to take a, you have a more holistic uh, understanding of how a business runs. Mm -hmm. And when you end up taking that and going and working at a different firm, mm -hmm. like you work with a different kind of appreciation mindset. Mm -hmm. Now, after you started working for yourself, have you ever went back and ever worked for anybody else? Uh, no. No. Yeah. And the way I kind of like just look at it is I've had too much freedom and I don't like answering to anybody, right? Like I want to choose when I wake up and you know, like the hardest, like I'm sure you remember too, is like, oh, you know, if you had a nine to five job when I started to, I was like, oh, I'm so tired of like waking up, right? Yep. And you know, now it's like when I wake up, I'm excited because I'm like, oh, the market's going to open, you know, yep. like today's like uh, Sunday and markets uh, reopen at five for four X and six. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting pumped again for it, right? Like. For me, the weekends feel like the weekdays, right? Because the markets are closed, I can't do anything, and I'm like, um, okay, like, you know, just like relax a bit. And then when weekdays come, like, I'm always excited because there's always opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's just kind of how I view it. So you see the, see the markets as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's like fishing, I guess, yeah. right? You're yeah. waiting for a certain time, and you're, okay, this is ready to go. Yep. Um, so in your mind, have you developed like frameworks of how you operate? I do. And most of the times, like, I'm a really strong believer that you should be working smart, not hard. And what I kind of realized, too, was, you know, as I got more successful and more wealthy, I have more and more free time on my hands. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a career, if, you know, the more successful and, you know, the higher you go, you get more money, but you have no time, right? Yeah. Uh, what I also realized, too, is, like, you pay more in taxes, right? Versus, like, the rich, they got taxed a little differently. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what would your advice be, to, I guess, to everyone else who are... Um, think about pursuing something you're doing. Uh, like, I think one thing is really important is that, you know, you actually have to know what it is that you want to do. And I'm just going to share a story of, you know, I was in the same boat as well. Like, uh, I remember when I was graduating UTSC, I think it was like 2016, like around that year. I don't even remember anymore. Yeah. But uh, the point being was there was an entrepreneur that was actually at my convocation. My, uh, the convocation, he was saying, you know, like, guys, you got to start young. You got to find out what it is that you like. And I was up there, you know, sitting at convocation, just looking and thinking to myself, you know, like, how, how is it possible that, like, I'm going to do this? Like, you just got lucky, right? Like, the fact that you were able to find something that's great. I don't know what I like to do. I like to play games, right? That, that was, like, my mindset during that time. And during that time, I was just very arrogant. I was very ignorant. I thought I knew everything, right? And then... Like what technically happened afterwards was I just went on a string of, you know, exploring stuff. I failed so much businesses and I like found a few things that stuck with me. Trading, real estate, businesses, and my YouTube channel, right? 
And eventually, like, those are the things, like, I decided to, like, just kind of, like, hold on to. And you just got to have, like, a main horse, right? Like, if you, like, have your, like, main horse, then you could, like, just use that and get to places faster, right? Yeah. And once you have, like, you know, your main streams of income, you start to diversify. And that's kind of, like, what I would recommend for people to do. So if you could actually find something that you truly like, find a way to monetize it, find someone who's already monetizing it, and then, uh, you know, start diversifying, start acquiring assets, real estate, mm -hmm. vending machines, businesses, IPOs. Cash flow. Exactly. Cash flow investments, mm -hmm. basically. That's uh, it's really interesting take on it, right? So uh, before we go, let, let, let's take a break from the business talk, and let's mm -hmm. little go back into uh, frameworks and mind state. Mm -hmm. You talked something about uh, revenge trading. Mm -hmm. What is that? So revenge trading is, let's just say you take a trade, you're out like a thousand bucks and you're like, ah, oh, crap, I'm like actually down money, right? I want to be like, I want to make back my money. So you go in, you lose another thousand, you're like, crap, now I'm down 2K. You go in again, you keep losing it until eventually you blow up. That's a very rookie mistake uh, that a lot of traders make. Okay. Um, so it takes a lot of okay, emotional control. Self-control. Discipline. And Discipline. There's always, yeah. there's always a rule book. Like every single time I'm trading in front of my screen, I have like my rules written out on a piece of paper. I look at it and I'm like, okay, you know what? Sometimes uh, I need to like make sure I'm like controlled, right? Mm -hmm. So I go through each and every single one of my rules. It's like this criteria A to like uh, C meet, right? Okay. It's like yes, it meets. It's like, are you revenge trading? No. Like, okay, it's like a little checkbox, right? Once everything's like good, it's like, okay, I'm going to enter the trade. And they're like, okay, criteria like one or two does not meet. I can't trade it anymore. <laughs> That's so I mean. you have pretty much a guidebook, like sorry, like yeah. a um, checklist almost. Exactly. That you before you make an execute something, you check mm -hmm. yourself to check yourself literally. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anything else you do to like manage yourself? Like, I mean, emotions are run high, mm -hmm. especially when money's involved. Yeah. Right. Because you think about the f how much you're gonna make, right? The, the possibility of that there's a rush involved with that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you start imagining what you can do with the money already. I'm, yeah. I'm assuming, yeah. right? And um, how do you how do you manage that? So originally at the beginning, like money was a very big thing, right? But as you become like a little later into the game, you just start to look at it as a number, right? Mm -hmm. Like once you have multiple years of trading under your belt, like money is no longer like such a big thing. It's just it's just a small number to you, right? And yeah. as long as like you measure your risks, like you'll really know what to do. But another thing I also uh, just like partake in is I work out like every single day, right? Like, you know, I got the blood flowing, the yeah. blood pumping and you know, you gotta like meditate, you go to like to your saunas and stuff. And like, if you're calmer, the more calm and you know, the less you care about, you know, if you lose or if you win, I notice like, that's kind of like my trading state, right? In my trading state, when I don't care, that's my most objective uh, type of like competitive advantage, right? So when I'm super objective and I don't care, I win the most. If I care a little, I don't win that much or I tend to lose, right? Yeah, yeah. But even with my losses, they're all measured. It's really interesting you say that you work out and you uh, you exercise and you take care of yourself. Self care, yeah, basically important. being important. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, one of the things uh, I really took away from the Joe Rogan experience, right, yeah. uh, from his show, there's one phrase that really got to me. And he's like, when you're working out, you're what you're basically doing is you're pumping this uh, like heavy weight around and moving around. You're telling the bot your body is screaming at you mm -hmm. back, right? You, it, it thinks you're putting it through hell. So it starts uh, stressing out. All the all these stress and stuff uh, responses uh, come out in, in response to that. And because you're conditioning your body to take on, like, say, showing that this is what stress looks like, it reconditions it away from other sources of stress, so that it increases your um, threshold for how much stress you can take before you break, or, yeah. right? So you're conditioning your your mind to be able to take away stress from mental activities to physical activities. And uh, I've noticed that too. Like whenever I work out that day, I'm less stressed out. I'm, I'm le I have a higher tolerance for what's happening. You're calmer. Um, so do you work this into a routine? Like you work out before, right yep. before you start trading? So like what I do is uh, every single morning, like uh, between 8.30 to 9, that's mm -hmm. when I'm doing my pre-charts for my private groups and stuff too. So my pre-chart is I'm just doing my own analysis. Like mm -hmm. this is what I think is going to happen. Do I have my you know bull case, my bear case? Usually the bull case is like if it goes up, the bear case is if it goes down. So I need to plan my scenarios. How am I going to adapt to each scenario? What's the more likely based on probability? And afterwards, I usually trade to about uh, 2 p.m. At 2 p.m., 1 p.m., 2 p.m., uh, give or take, I tend to actually go to a gym. And then you know after an hour, I come back. Uh, you know, it's that's kind of when I'm eating and also like playing the remainder of the markets. It's usually called the power hour, right? So between like three to four, that's like one more final like movement. 
And if there is a movement, I would try to capitalize off of it. But more often than not, I notice like the sweet spot for me to trade is between like, you know, 9.30 to kind of 12. And anything afterwards is usually the period where, you know, the people who lost money in the first half are trying to make money back in the second half, right? So after that, uh, what happens is when a market closed, I do my video planning, right? So when my video planning is like done, uh, I make my video. And then it's usually posted by like between six to seven. And after that point, uh, I take an hour break. And then afterwards, I go look into real estate. Oh, at the same time, like when I'm trading, if there's like not an eventful day, I'm just shopping up like properties and stuff. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a very, like an average day seems like an eventful day. It's mm -hmm. a lot of moving things going on. Mm -hmm. um, do you enjoy all that, having yeah, all this really fun. going on? So do you see it almost like a game? Right. So, like, the funny thing I was going to tell you was I played a lot of uh, MMORPGs. You know, okay, like, yeah. You know, the Diablo, the Maple Stories. Yep. Uh, all those back in the day was, you know, about making money, you know, buying a low, selling Castle's high. nodding in the background. It's like, yeah. yeah, you play that too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, what happened was on all those games, I've always got to, like, really one of the tops in the server, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I was always extremely loaded in my game. Nice. So what I always kind of thought was, how come I could get, like, super rich in my games and I don't need to put any real money in, right? Right? Interesting, yeah. And I was like, how I was like, so how could I replicate it in such a way that I could do it in real life? And real life is very simple. We just weren't taught the financial, like, you know, intelligence to actually get there. All you need to do is buy less liabilities, buy more assets, right? All your mm -hmm. money, like, what's a liability? A car, right? Uh, your house that you're living in, when you could be renting and having multiple rental properties, paying it off, multiple businesses and cash flow, right? So when I kind of like learned all that. Um, that's kind of like what got me into like this whole entrepreneurship thing, right? So my game now is the game of life, right? Like mm -hmm. what's, what's your high score is kind of like your amount of asset basis that you have, what you can make per month. That's, I'm a really like numbers oriented guy, right? Yeah. So that's kind of how I got there. That's really cool. I mean, uh, it's funny. I, I've had, had a similar kind of thoughts because I played a lot of uh, like uh, real time strategy games or in tycoons, like those city builders. Oh, or the roller coaster tycoon? Yeah, city yeah. builders, empire builders, right? Yeah. Those are fun, but like it, see, it should, seems like okay. Why can't life be this easy? Where there's progress, you can see the progress coming up, like the effects, uh, the feedbacks from uh, the direct feedback from your actions. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really interesting you base it off of that. But like a lot of that seems like the use of technology, yep. right? Uh, that can help boost your own abilities. Uh, do you apply tech into your life, into your business like this? Like yeah, uh, for sure. And out? I think technology has actually changed a lot of how we do business today, right? Like uh, an example would be uh, my website, if I sell courses, um, you know, business, trading. Before you had to be, you know, behind an office. Now, like, you could make money with a click of a button. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, 15 minutes, if I click something, I can make, like, a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks, right? It was really hard to do something like this back then. And, mm -hmm. you know, the way you operate is, I think that, you know, society is kind of changing in such a way that we no longer need to lease spaces anymore, right? If you look at retail, uh, I'm sure like, you know, the retail malls that we see, a lot of them are going out of business because the rent's too expensive, right? And, you know, Shopify has completely changed the game yeah. of how things are. Like, say of Amazon, like, you could just order something and it could be at your house the next day. They even have equipment that could scan your body size and make sure the clothes like fit you, right? Mm -hmm. So just kind of like incorporating all that into my business, it actually did help a lot, right? Versus if you had a store in person, every day let's just say you're limited to the same like 200 base of people, right? What if you have a store online? You could be limited to millions, yeah. right? Like you have you have no limit. Yeah. Like whoever has internet access can buy your stuff. Yep. It's all about access. Exactly. You're provided with access to much higher amounts of eyeballs and mm -hmm. uh, attention. Yep. So now it's about getting that yep. attention, right? So how do you drive that? So this is a separate line of business you do, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so you, so let's check out your website actually. Sure. You have a YouTube channel? Yep. Let's bring that up first. So you have Silver Talks? Yep. So this is where you talk about uh, the markets and uh, day trading? Yep. So what I do is, it's kind of just like a little glimpse of uh, how I break down stocks. It's how, you know, I educate people as well. I'm adding a little more tutorial videos on, uh, you know, what is it going to take you to become a more successful trader? What are some of the things that I do that could actually help you? Yep. And I'm starting to add a little more in, in terms of, you know, like my real estate investing or, you know, my other investments that uh, I'm kind of just like getting into as well. Perfect. So you, you talk about real estate here as well? 
Yep. A little bit, but yeah. it's like it's starting to grow, right? I'm, I'm still just trying to debate like whether or not it's like should I separate my real estate into like a separate channel or like have it as one because like it, it's a little like a bit of a gray area when it comes yeah. to that, right? It's like sometimes people sign up for stocks and they don't really care about anything else, right? Then you have the guys that follow you and they want like everything. They want your whole life, right? Yeah. yeah. You also talk about passive income, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the category there. Mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts there? Like. I love it. You love it, of course. <laughs> um, what do you consider passive income and how do you achieve that? So basically, in terms of passive income, it really just depends on uh, what type of assets you're buying, right? So this kind of falls into, you know, rich dad, poor dad. I'm sure uh, you know the book as well. So yep. you got to buy assets that produce income. So what's an asset? Real estate is one of the ultimate assets. You have businesses as well, which generate you monthly cash flow. You also have like vending machines and uh, those also generate you cash flow. So what I try to do is I always try to like shop for decent businesses that, you know, require me to not be there actively. All I have to do is just cut you a check and then uh, afterwards, like when I give you my check every single month, I get like some sort of recurring payment, right? And as long as the numbers check out the financials and everything, you know, on the business, I'll keep it, right? Same with uh, like the vending side. So I'll give you a bit of an example. A vending machine, let's just say one could cost you a thousand bucks, right? A thousand bucks and per month it generates you a hundred dollars. You make your return back uh, within a year, right? Okay. That's usually a high uh, type of return, right? So if you have that type of high return, then a year after this becomes your asset. It just continues to put money into your pocket. Same with real estate. So how long could a vending machine last for? I'd say like at least five years. Five like years. especially if you're shopping for the right machines, they're pretty durable, right? If yeah. you go for like the right brands. Uh, one thing I would kind of say is like, you know, you should try to avoid the combo machines because they tend to have more problems and they don't hold as combo much. Combo machines? Yep. What is a combo machine? So a combo machine is basically uh, the ones that hold like snacks and drinks at the same time. So I try to avoid those because they're always a problem. The compressors always like break and it's just uh, such a hassle to yep. fix it. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So you, so you have figured out different categories that you go into, mm -hmm. right? You have the active income streams, which is trading, yep. right? And then you have passive income strategies, like you mentioned right now, mm -hmm. and you also teach these. Yep. Um, how's that side been? Because uh, we've seen the, the, the huge um, movement online of these uh, online courses and workshops. Mm -hmm. um, so is your channel channel over here on your website? Yep. So surprisingly, uh, the channel is a little smaller. Like even though we have like two thousand subscribers, it's still a multi six uh, figure business. Mm -hmm. Kind of crazy, right? It's just as long as you have some sort of value that you're able to deliver to people, and as long as you could prove to them that your results are, you know, guaranteed, mm -hmm. uh, or even like, you know, they actually have some sort of good result to help like your customer, yep. you're gonna get sales, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, how's the feedback been? Uh, pretty good, actually. So, uh, I'll just talk about like the two guys right here. Jim, sure. this was uh, one of our pharmacist students. Uh, last I talked to him, he told me like he's been doing pretty good. He's almost at a stage where, uh, you know, him and the wife are very profitable. And eventually when they start scaling, they're going to be able to like chase their dream of, you know, financial freedom and not having to work. And then Don is, uh, you know, another one of uh, my students as well. He's uh, actually a retiree. I really like his mindset. And he's just a very positive guy. But like he's also, uh, you know, slowly becoming profitable like there are some uh type of like you know setbacks that he's experienced but i'm always kind of like around to help my students nice yep. so these are the best success stories you have right now you're working on building up more success stories to build um, other people these are just like the two that are on the website i have okay. a few that are actually like local the local ones are already multi six figures nice. so what i kind of realized is you know afterwards when students become successful they don't really talk to me as much anymore <laughs> so they're like yeah you know i, I know what, i know what's good right yeah. and then uh there's this other guy uh that i know he's actually making close to multi six figures right like it's kind of at the between like the 100k mark to almost 200 so I'm very happy for him as well because like, you know, before when he came to me, he had a lot of debt, but now it's like he already paid off like his entire debt, right? So now he's like starting to diversify again to like real estate and et cetera. Amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about being a solopreneur. Okay. That's basically what you are, mm -hmm. right? Like why, like why not, can, like do you see yourself building what you do into a company where you have multiple working under you? Mm -hmm. Or do you f feel like the freedom of working for yourself? So, 
Yep, I agree with you in terms of the solo printer. Uh, so what actually happened for this one, uh, the YouTube part is like pretty solo, but I do have like an assistant that helps me like do everything. Okay, so you have like... Yeah, I do. But in terms of uh, all my other assets and stuff, I'm slowly starting to build up a team, especially on the real estate side. Like that one has been like one of my most uh, interesting projects. So, like mm -hmm. I look forward to every day, but it's like I've already started building up uh, multiple, you know, like teams to deal with the Toronto segment uh, for my Toronto real estate and then the uh, Windsor real estate side, right? So it's like, as those teams are coming up and automation is starting to happen, uh, like I'm gonna like try to be a little more obsolete to the business, right? So once so I'm- Let's once talk I'm about the, the kind of systemization of that. Like, mm -hmm. what, does that what does that mean? Like you're building a team to handle that. Like. So what I kind of mean by that is uh, I'm gonna have like my property managers, I'm gonna have my contractors, mm -hmm. and I'm just gonna have like a main assistant, right? My main assistant is gonna be the one that manages everything, right? So all I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna make some calls, structure a deal, get the financing in. Once the financing in, uh, the deal is like put together, my assistant's gonna come in, he's gonna manage all the renovations, he's gonna manage all the properties, right? Get all my cash flow, make sure like my banks are done, uh, take care of all my paperwork, et cetera, right? And then, while they're doing that, I'm just all I'm going to keep doing is I'm just going to keep searching, you know, for investors who want to invest with me, right? And as they continue to invest with me, my team is going to keep managing my portfolio while I keep growing the portfolio. Nice. So, like, that's where uh, I was like kind of agreeing with you in terms of the solo printer game. Um, it, it's a little more tricky, right? Yeah. Like, you don't really want to be a solo printer for that long. Eventually, when you start branching like with teams, you're going to get a lot further. Of course, yep. you get to go further when you have like a, a better system underneath you, right? Yep. You can work with. So basically, you're now more of a salesman and type of getting an investment, mm -hmm. right? Getting investors to come on board, mm -hmm. show the proven track record, mm -hmm. like, hey, look at this machine I've built that can bring you wealth, yep. right? Feed the machine and you grow with me, mm -hmm. right? That's basically what your what your job role is. Yep. And the machine is up and running now, right? For Toronto and Windsor. Mm -hmm. How do you guys qualify what properties to go into? Uh, so a lot of the times, like, it's really just dependent on uh, the person's income as well, right? So my income bracket, like, I'm actually able to qualify for a pretty decent amount. But what I'm trying to branch into is I'm sure you're aware of, like, OPM, other people's money, right? Yeah. So these are usually investors that, you know, they have the income, they have the mortgage, but they just don't know where to deploy it, right? Like, to actually buy a Toron uh, Toronto property, you probably need at least like, you know, 200K because yep. 4.5 times uh, your annual income is what they're willing to lend you out, right? Mm -hmm. Most people aren't gonna be able to afford that. But in Windsor, it's actually an affordable property. It's like 200K for a duplex, 250K per duplex, give or take, right? So it really just boils down to uh, finding the right investors. They at least need to have like a decent amount of money, like anywhere from between like, you know, 50 to 80K. But let's say even if they don't, you could structure it such a way that, you know, like pool funds together and you set it up in such a way that everybody wins, right? Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, we hear, I hear there's a lot of real estate investors about Windsor. Mm -hmm. What's going on in Windsor? Oh, there's a lot going on in Windsor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there's the University of Windsor uh, because like a lot of immigrants are actually starting to move over to Canada. The immigration law has been helping them a lot more, right? So uh, Toronto's a little overpriced, I'm sure you're yep. aware, right? It's like, it's ridiculous to live here. I mean. If you just buy a brand new house, your mortgage payments are anywhere from like three thousand to four thousand bucks, right? And mm -hmm. it's very hard to make that money if you're just like a person working a normal nine to five job, as wages are stagnant, right? So everybody is starting to move over to Windsor because University mm -hmm. of Windsor is actually um, accepting more immigrants. They're a lot easier to get into, so everyone's starting to go over there. There's also, you know, like the revitalization of Detroit. There's a lot more development that's moving over and Toronto is starting to potentially, uh, I don't know, maybe like a couple years down the line, could be 10, 20, who knows, there's eventually gonna be like a train connecting the city, right? Train so, to Windsor? Yeah. yeah, when that actually happens, I think there's gonna be like a lot of big things going on. So you're on investing there. for the future? Yep. Okay, and, and you see a lot of growth potential there. Yep, and the cash flow right now is like really decent, right? Like, I mean, you're making about 20% like on your cash every single year and that beats like any indice in the stock market, you know, like no one could take away that money from you in terms of like, you know, the real estate market, in my opinion, like the stock market is heavily manipulated by, you know, institutions. So, you know, let's say I decided I wanted to pull something like 2009 again, right? 2008 crash. I'm going to short all your stocks and, you know, you're going to be stuck holding it for at least like 20 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after 20 years, you make back your money while I made all your money within like, you know, a day or two, right? But versus real estate, your asset, you hold it. No one controls it, right? And that's what people don't understand.
Sorry, let's put up a map real quick. Sure. Uh, a little more to the left. Yep, it's uh, above Chatham. Above Chatham? Yeah. Oh, wait, no, it's right here. <laughs> yeah, it's right yeah, here, right? Yeah. <laughs> right there. Yep. So it's like right next to Detroit. Like yep. Almost like if the border wasn't there, there'd be one city. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I've been to Windsor. Uh, I've, I've worked there. I mean, really? like a lot of the, like uh, I work in the energy industry, so I've been to a lot of these homes. You know, a lot of homeowners. A lot of people are renting there. Mm -hmm. uh, most people are, most properties are owned by like people living in Toronto. Yep. And this was about, about three years ago as well. So mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that has uh, changed. But like literally that river is really small. You look right across, you see Detroit, you see America. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so did, as Detroit is growing, you're saying winds is picking up on that growth, right? Uh, partially as well, but mm -hmm. it's more so just like the immigrants and, you know, the university, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Anything else you're doing like in, uh, in, the, in the region? Uh, in the Windsor region? Yeah, you said, you, so you focus mostly on Windsor and yep. Toronto. So the Windsor region, what I'm really just doing right now is I'm just acquiring multiple properties and mm -hmm. uh, I'm just really trying to like, you know, use our bird strategy, which is the buy, we renovate, and then we rent it out with like premium rents. We refinance, pull our money, repeat the cycle, and you just keep stacking houses, right? Yeah. So if you really think about it, um, you know, like what you asked on what I'm doing, I'm just trying to build passive income stream, right? So if you build passive income stream, what's 50K like annual salary? That's about 3,200 uh, per month that you're getting, right? So if you have cash flow, you have amortization to write everything off, you just need to make 3,200, right? What does it really take? Two, three houses, give or take, right? Or if you wanna like be conservative, let's just say two duplexes with a like decent deal, you could actually like get that type of cash flow, right? Okay. It's a lot easier than you know trying to like save up the traditional way. Yeah. So let's break that down. Sorry, you said 3,200, mm -hmm. right? Coming in monthly. Yep. Uh, what's that number for? Uh, 50K. 50K. Yep. So repeat exactly what you said. Oh, Just so uh, sorry. In uh, Toronto, so if you make like 50K annual salary, your net of taxes and everything is uh, 3,200 per month or yeah. 38K okay. of uh, take home, right? So in order to make 50K, you need to actually just have 3.2K passive income like, you know, that's shielded uh, with like, you know, tax shields that you could actually like make to get Fair. that. Okay, and you're saying you can do that with properties yep. and you can do that in Windsor. Yep. Um, so we talked, we heard, I hear a lot of investors doing this. Yep. What is, I mean, do you feel like it's a breaking point where like everyone's moving in there? Uh, what, I would say. What's the market looking like? I would say right now it's very hard to get deals. Um, I mean like this past like month I was like deal seeking. I lost like three deals and it was just like very frustrating, right? It's like, each of these deals, like, you know, I have to like do my due diligence, right? It wastes my time too. And it's like probably like at least like 380 bucks like per property to like get the appraiser in, you know, get the inspectors in and mm -hmm. et cetera, right? So the thing I'm kind of realizing is everyone from Toronto is starting to flock over to Windsor, right? So if a house gets listed for let's say like five days, like afterwards, like snap of your finger, it's gone. Like yeah. you don't even have time. It's like people are throwing, uh, you know, offers without conditions, right? So no conditions, like right away it gets accepted for whatever amount is like highest. So do you feel like the, the market's inflating there in Windsor, like the house prices are going up? I would say that even though, you know, like Windsor is inflating right now, it's not as bad as Toronto, right? Of course. Like there's, uh, in my opinion, like aside from Sarnia above, like if you could actually see right there. Yeah, Sarnia right here. Yeah, so Sarnia is like a decent area that's also growing as well uh, from what I've been looking into. but. Windsor seems to have like uh, the most development in my opinion, right? So these two areas are significantly undervalued compared to London, Hamilton, you know, like uh, even Toronto and uh, Oshawa, everything else, right? Mm -hmm. And Niagara Falls and St. Catharines is kind of like the next area that we're also potentially looking into as well. Yeah. But the fact is no one's going to go anywhere for real estate, right? Like you can see how disruptive technology has kind of been. No matter how disruptive technology is going to be, everyone's going to need a place to live, right? So, yeah. That's great. Like, uh, yeah, I was looking to analysis of like the high growth regions of the world. It's like yeah. 14 growth regions in the world. Uh, and these are like regions that are interconnect each other. Mm -hmm. So one of the main regions being is everything from like Montreal down mm -hmm. to Chicago. Yep. Right. So from Chicago here to like Detroit. The U.S. side, it's a lot of movement, a lot of a lot of improvements, even like up to, like, uh, like Iowa area, mm -hmm. Minnesota area, but like really this entire region is kind of like blowing up when it comes to innovation, uh, GDP growth, right? And uh, it, like 
improvements to the economy. And I can see why, like right in the, f in the middle, it seems like a great investment area. Yep. Do you see, find this to be continuing in the future? Like yeah. how quickly do you think the gap's gonna be closed where it's not gonna be a good market anymore? Um, I think like, you know, when houses start getting up to around like 400K, I would probably be like, okay, you know, maybe I'm gonna look elsewhere, right? But anything like under 300 is still very doable, right? Like. Mm -hmm. It just needs to make sense in such a way that even your rent has to just like catch up to you know the purchase price. Like if you have the one percent rule, if your rent could at least you know meet like one percent of the purchase price, you could probably with like within a reasonable uh, kind of like way to say we're gonna cash flow, right? Mm -hmm. Like in Toronto, let's say we have houses for like one million. If you have a one percent rent, no one's gonna pay ten k rent for like a house, right? Like it just does not make sense, especially if it's like a normal size house or something. Yeah. So as long as you can meet like the one percent rule, I'd say it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean housing in Toronto is ridiculous. I was looking yeah. at downtown properties. Yep. Um, to even like rent out, mm -hmm. and um, you see like these tiny homes, seventeen hundred square foot homes, are now divided into four sections, mm -hmm. and each of them are rented out into like, uh, I think like $1,700 a month or something like that. Yep. And this is what people are doing, yeah. you know? Um, what do you feel like is gonna happen to Toronto real estate? Do you think like we gotta have to spread out from a core? I mean, I know there's already plans in the, in the works, but that's still 10, 15 years out. Yeah, I think what's gonna happen with like the Toronto is we're probably gonna experience a bit more of like, you know, a crash when it comes to the condo prices. I'm sure you're like, you're pretty aware of the condo game, right? So the thing with the condo games is people are paying 500K for these like really small shoebox condos, right? And you're actually seeing on the news like these condo balconies are like falling apart. Like, you know, like the glass is falling onto like yeah. the streets and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's scaring people and you know, like the inside, like all the wiring and everything, it's like, it's faulty. It's like they cut back on costs and et cetera. So the condo game is gonna be a little impacted. The real estate game as well, like in terms of housing, I think we're gonna have like a bit of a drop, but not anything significant, right? Because Toronto's a little overpopulated and I don't see anyone like wanting to move out, right? Like before I got into a real estate game, I was kind of thinking like, you know, maybe Toronto would have like a 40% drop in prices. Like that's that's just not happening, right? Mm -hmm. like, even like 20% is kind of pushing it in my opinion, right? So I think with Toronto, we're just gonna continue to keep growing and any area kind of like surrounding it will eventually like start going up to like Mississauga is already kind of like, you know, significantly going up. You have like your Pickering, your Durham region, et cetera. No, absolutely. Mm. And it's a lot of because of mostly foreign buyers. Yep. Right? There's a lot of people in the city can't afford it. Yep. Um, my, my question is, like, what do you feel about this whole talk of recession coming? 2020. Oh, I'm actually preparing for every single day. Okay. Um, so I talk about it in my videos a lot in terms of the recession. So in this recession, what a lot of people don't really seem to understand is that it's going to get very messy. Like, this time around is we're living on fiat currency. Like fiat currency is basically, there's nothing backing our dollar, right? Our $20 bill, it's just, you agree it's 20 bucks, yeah. I agree it's $20, right? So there's no limit to you know how much they could actually print and they could print these things out of oblivion. It could be like a Venezuela type of thing, right? I don't know if that's actually gonna happen or not, but when this whole thing happens, cash is gonna be significantly devalued. So how I'm kind of preparing for it is, I'm buying hard assets, right? I want my real estate. I want, you know, like gold bricks, silver bricks. Like I buy those, right? Like I have like places like where I put them. I buy like other assets like vending machines. Like I'd rather put my money into some cars that are gonna hold a value, like as opposed to just like have cash, right? Because cash is kind of like a depreciating asset and the saver is actually the person who loses the most, right? And most people don't seem to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. So let's again break that down. Um, recession, when do you think it's coming? 2020, like everyone's talking about? Um, I think like, it's a little hard to say because we can't really time it, no one could time it, right? Mm -hmm. Like when it happens, you'll know, like look for S&P to drop like within 5% within a day, you'll know. Watch the, watch the bond market sell off like 3%, 4% just in one day. That will be a significant- That'll be an indicator? Like, yeah, like when there's a gigantic sell off of the bond market and uh, you know, S&P decides to fall as well, that's gonna be your indicator of the thing. Like. There's also going to be a, lost my trail of thought. Yeah, I think like a significant uh, spike in the VIX as well. Like uh, those are usually Sorry, like your spike in the uh, volatility index. Volatility so index. those are usually like the three. Volatility index is always like the last, right? But like when you see a gigantic spike in the VIX with everything else kind of lying together, that's what it's happening. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's when it's happening. Yeah. Okay, that sounds uh, mm -hmm. honest. But um, okay, 
So there's a few other indicators people are talking about, like Ray Dalio talked about different indicators, right? People are talking about how there's um, the mortgage uh, crisis in 2008 was yep. triggered by a $1.33 trillion um, um, in uh, what's it? Uh, mortgage-backed securities. Yep. But this time around, it's like $1.7 uh, trillion in student loans yep. that's backed by the U.S. Treasury, right? That's a point of concern, and mm. it's literally like Trump's job to like sign over an agreement that uh, something more over, like prevent that from cas that effect from cascading. Mm. And he can't do it because an election year is coming up for him. Exactly. And uh, that also is uh, raising a concern. Yep. Um, there's multiple things that people are talking about. Do you have any other uh, input to add in, or uh, which one you? I would say like most of the times it's also like you know auto loan debt. That's a bit of an issue as well. Like every person seems to think that they can afford a 60k car on a 50k salary. It's ridiculous, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, auto loan is going to be one. You know, as you mentioned, student loan, credit uh, credit card debt is going to be another one as well. Yeah. The whole like you know, I, I think with like the whole retail apocalypse, that's a very big one as well. Because if you actually look around the city, uh, I'm sure you're aware that you know a lot of brands are starting to close down, right? So people aren't getting jobs anymore, right? Like jobs are getting like taken off uh, the market. So that's gonna cause like a little bit more of a struggle in terms of like wages, right? And uh, that's pretty much it. Yep. What do you think about raising the minimum wage? Uh, I'm very against it because it doesn't actually solve any issues, right? When you raise your minimum wage, what technically happens is you screw over the entrepreneur, right? The entrepreneur is the one providing a job for you. They're going to lean towards automation, and you're going to be out of a job. <laughs> yeah, so it's pushing yeah. the world towards more automation. Exactly. So everyone's talking right now about it now being the fourth wave of industrialization. Mm -hmm. um, so the last time, the third wave of industrialization, a lot of people lost their jobs, right? A lot of especially the physical labor jobs went mm -hmm. to more um, mental jobs, like, like accounting became a more of a bigger field. Yep. Finance industry popped up, like it picked up. More professional kind of job uh, professions came into into uh, uh, into the economy. Um, what do you feel this time around? Like, do you see the automation wave taking off and how it's going to affect the economy and how uh, job creation is going to change? The type of jobs can come out. Yep. So I think what's going to happen is you know within the next I want to say twenty or thirty years, jobs aren't really going to be a thing anymore. Like that's just the way I look at it because. So you think jobs in general going to be eliminated? Like. Uh, majority of them will, but like there will be like you know a few like specialist jobs like they're still required, right? Like you still need like certain analysts, like certain positions, right? But the way that I kind of just like look at it is, school doesn't really make too much sense anymore, right? Like it does not make sense to take on like forty to hundred thousand dollars for a fifty k to forty k job, right? Like it's ridiculous that you know people seem to think that trade offs like kind of worth it, right? If you think about like. 50k to 100k for the average person that's a lot of money, a lot of like money they're yeah. not going to make that back anytime soon right like if you work a minimum wage job to try to make that money back it'll, it'll take you at least like i want to say like six to seven years six to seven years yep. yeah so what do you see here so i i, I don't agree exactly with that like mm -hmm. i feel like the type of jobs are going to change mm -hmm. um i i prefer this guy um the co-owner of uh angelist he talks about this like how in the future, instead of jobs, we more entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Because the cost of entering into the, that market, of innovation, of uh, starting something new is gonna go down. Because technology is gonna exp expand the abilities of the average person. Everyone's gonna become more of an entrepreneur. And like that, it's almost like a, a backward step for humanity, where back in the day, everyone's responsible for farming their own land, or hunting down their own, uh, like, you know, their own game animals, or, chopping down their own trees to like fuel themselves. Everyone became more independent. She said that everyone's become more independent, but the abilities in that independence is going to be higher, right? Yep. Um, so less jobs, as in the traditional jobs you see now, but more opportunities for entrepreneurship. Um, I think that's, we're seeing that wave now of more people you know, starting a Shopify account. And even though they have a main, like they'll have a nine to five or a steady income job or a steady income provider, they'll start these side businesses because it's, the cost of uh, starting it is cheaper now, easier, yep. right? But um, same time, like um, Scott Galloway, he mm. comes out with this chart saying the cost, the actual cost of entrepreneurship has gone up. Yep. So over the past 40 years, the cost of starting a business or like starting an entrepreneurship has actually gone up. And it's partly due because the cost of living has gone up, like you mentioned, yep. right? Buying property has gone up. So the cost of actually living, the cost of how much uh, average debt people uh, have, is preventing them from going on to the future. Yep. 
So I feel like people, a lot of people are burdened from taking advantage of automation and like the opportunities given to them. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, because of like how yep. strapped they are to the system. Yep. But I think for the new generation, there's a lot of opportunities coming up. Like oh, high school students mm -hmm. now can go on YouTube, learn a whole trade, and start making money mm -hmm. on like a, you know a completely authentic market space, yep. right? Through online channels. Yep. Um, do you see any changes yourself? Like, um, like actually, how people are. I actually do agree with you in terms of entrepreneurship. Like, yeah. there's going to be a lot more in the future, right? And mm -hmm. it's better you start now versus like. 10 years later, right? You know, like 10 years ago, you probably say, I wish I bought a house in like Toronto or something, right? Yeah. But you know, now you're like, it's too late. So there was also Bitcoin. Every decade, there's gonna be like some sort of like new opportunity, right? I think the new opportunity right now is social media, you know, like entrepreneurship. And 10 years afterwards, everybody's gonna be doing it like as their own thing, right? Like that's kind of like where I said, when there's not gonna be as much jobs, everybody's gonna be trying to fight to get like business competitors, that type of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I'm seeing. Oh, definitely. And I think in that kind of marketplace, I mean, that's, I, I like that because uh, I see it more as a pure play uh, capitalism. When everyone has equal access to a, 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 the, the playing field mm -hmm. and starting new things, and it's easier to start new things, and there's more knowledge on how to start new businesses and new uh, passive income streams, things like that, I think it's much more equalized yep. in that sense, kind of sense. Um, what do you feel about UBI, universal basic income? Are you following Andrew Yang? Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't really have much of an opinion on that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you know what U uh, UBI is? Okay. So universal basic income is the idea, right? It's actually a pretty old idea. Like mm -hmm. Milton Friedman thought about this. It's mm -hmm. it's not necessarily a liberal thing. Mm -hmm. It's about it, it's about fixing capitalism. Okay. Right now, everyone has a start. You start with an income of zero. Okay. You work, provide your physical labor or whatever, and you get a job, mm -hmm. and you bring income in. Now mm -hmm. you're trading time for money, and you get income coming in. If you're fortunate enough to build like a income stream or a business that provides you income, yep. again you have income coming in. Mm -hmm. But if any, all your activity stops, your income drops to zero. Mm -hmm. So the idea is like increase the income levels by of everybody to a certain amount. So no matter what, instead of your income being zero, you some income coming in. Oh, I so mean. the minimum uh, the cost of life is taken care of. Mm -hmm. So enough income at least that you, can, you don't have to worry about starving to death mm -hmm. or freezing to death, yeah. right? Yeah. So you have access to the basic things necessary, so you're able to uh, work at a higher order. Mm -hmm. So you have this cushion. If like what you're doing right now doesn't work, you can fall on that cushion, use that to build something else, mm -hmm. learn something else, switch different tra to a different trade craft, mm -hmm. give you more flexibility as an individual on what you want to do, to change, right? To make, make changes, to take risks. Um, one of the things that's been found is that, like in Canada, for instance, because of our social capital system, yep. you're 26% more likely to become an innovator here rather than the states, even though the states have 10 times our population and 1,000 times our market, mm -hmm. right? maybe 10,000 times our market. And the reason, because if you're 28 years old and you want to quit your job and you have two kids and a, and a wife at home, you're more likely to do that in Canada than you are in the states because you're not going to lose your health insurance. Exactly. Right, just yeah. that factor, yeah. right, allows you to be more of an innovator. That's why you see in Canada a lot of innovators that come out here. Mm -hmm. I mean, from the telephone to like, I think it was a Tynol that was invented here, right? Yeah. <laughs> All these uh, innovations that came out of Canada. Canada's been known for innovation-based uh, um, country because of our combined social and, and um, I guess, capitalist systems. And the interesting uh, argument for UBI mm -hmm. is that by giving the average person an income coming in no matter what, it starts thinking that makes them think, how can I increase my income levels, yep. right? So more pure play capitalism. The problem is how do you fund that? Mm -hmm. Where do the funding for that come from? Like you tax every, 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 every issue, like everything possible, well yep. that slows down growth, I mean there's yeah. a whole bunch of counter arguments. Yeah. So no one really knows. Um, so there was a whole uh, experiment done worldwide. Mm -hmm. In Germany they did it, in Canada they did, they did it, in, um, in Hamilton as well. Uh, I think it, it, was, it was crushed by the, the um, Ford government when they came in, but uh, mm -hmm. for a while in Hamilton, they were giving away people $1,000 a month just to test out the, what kind of effects they have. But Andrew Yang, um, the states, Chinese-American, who is mm -hmm. um, a capitalist, right, is running for president, yep. right, doing pretty okay for independ independent. Uh, his thing is like, let's tax machines, mm -hmm. right? So for every automated mile a truck runs, mm -hmm. for every algorithm that you know, puts through an o order, uh, put like a value added tax, like a VAT tax, kind of like Europe has, yep. tax them and redistribute that to the people mm -hmm. as an income. So rather than like a social security net, 
you have income then, yep. right? That give you a minimum income. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. It's a very uphill yeah. battle to win. Yeah. But the idea of resetting capitalism is kind of interesting. Mm. What do you, you have any thoughts? Um, I would say I'm a hardcore capitalist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the main reason is like you know I built my wealth like just be, like being a capitalist, right? So. I don't think I really changed too much about it because the issue of like the UBS of how you kind of explain it is if you give everybody, you know, some sort of income, you're going to have like two types of people. You're going to have a person who's going to innovate, right? That's going to be great. And you're going to have another person who's just going to be lazy and unproductive, right? Mm -hmm. So having that said, I think a good issue to kind of solve that issue, like this problem would be you got to qualify your candidates for UBS, right? Are you an entrepreneur? Are you building something? You know, do you have some income to back the fact that you're doing this? If you do, and you can prove it, then it would be better to kind of fund your entrepreneurs, right? Because your entrepreneurs are the ones that are going to be running the economy, right? Like the average worker, they don't contribute anything to the company. They're easily replaceable. You're fired. Get out, right? I got another <laughs> guy to like replace your position. That's pretty hardcore statement. Yeah, but like yeah. it's the truth, right? Because entrepreneurs are the ones that, you know, like we take on the risks, right? Obviously, yes, we got paid more, but we're taking on the risk. We're providing you security to support your family. We're also innovating. We're trying to create a better place. We also give back, right? Like most entrepreneurs I know, the successful ones, they donate to charity all the time. They run like, you know, these events to help like children, you know, like children uh, struggling with like sickness and whatever. They try to make everything, you know, better for the whole entire world, right? Mm -hmm. Like look at Bill Gates. He's going to like Africa. Look at Warren Buffett. Like all these guys are helping better the society, right? Look at the average person oh, you know, the rich is stuck up. They're not really, like, doing anything, whatever, right? Yeah. It's like, as so opposed to the average person. A few counters to that. Yep. Like, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Yep. Like, entrepreneurs drive a lot of change in the world. Yep. A lot of that is, most of that is positive. Yep. That's, the positive changes kind of, kind of correlate. Yep. And, I mean, it's like threading the needle. Yep, right? They're sure. the ones who push innovation, makes everyone better for us. Yep. Um, but I think a few problems there is mm -hmm. when we rely too much on entrepreneurs to make the positive changes, mm -hmm. the people's individual, uh, individual um, thoughts or visions are the ones pushing society to a certain way. Yep. So it's like, it might not be better for everybody. Yep. I mean, thought and point, it's a lot of issues to do with like, how much money is given to, for, to fight certain types of diseases. Mm -hmm. You see, of course, uh, diseases that affect like more the Caucasian world mm -hmm. are overwhelmingly get support, where a lot of diseases that affect like minorities don't get the same kind of support. Um, and those kind of have cascading effects. So how do you prevent those kind of things? Well, you have a more wider distribution level of where resources are going rather than from a point of base, right? Mm -hmm. But going back to exactly what you said, like you know, by, like a large percentage of the population might take advantage of income coming in and decide not to be productive. And absolutely, and we gotta think about like the productive potential of people, right? Mm -hmm. um, so have you heard of something called the 20-80% rule? Where 20% of the population mm -hmm. will produce about 80% of the productivity uh, within that population, yep. almost any kind of population, from a countryside, to, from a country, to a city, to a company, you look at it, 20% of the people of any given population produce 80% of the productive output. Mm. That doesn't necessarily mean that the people who, 80% who don't produce, are, don't have any contributions, mm -hmm. but they have a lowered individual contribution, but yep. still beneficial to society, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So it's about, I think UBI, the interesting thing is like, how do you fund the wide scope people and help filter the 20% yep. that can help funnel the growth for the remaining people? Yeah. So everyone gets kind of a kind of a benefits yeah. from mm -hmm. the from the fruits of the labor, even mm -hmm. though it comes from the twenty percent. Um, it prevents the masses from rebelling against a successful few, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, like as long as you can find a way that evenly, you know, rewards people for their contributions, like that's fair. That's more than fair, right? Yeah. The only difficulty is finding a system that is gonna like allocate it properly, right? Like how do you know you're at a twenty percent or the eighty percent, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so just to wrap things up, mm -hmm. right? So you teach people how to be a capitalist, mm -hmm. right? You've had a success yourself, but now you're moving on to the more of a teaching role, yep. um, finding, uh, being, a, uh, you know, providing, um, I guess, mentorship online, yep. having direct mentorship activities, right? Teach classes online. How can people find you? Well, what are these courses, and how can they benefit them? Uh, so if you want to find me, you could always just like search me up on uh, Silver Talks, like for YouTube. Uh, I have my Instagram as well, but directly on Silver Talks, uh, you could always just like join our Discord group chat. I have my email there too. Uh, really just depends on like you know what you're interested in right it's like if you're interested in real estate okay let me know you're interested in real estate if you're interested in learning a trade let me know that and then we have like a whole bunch of like things that we offer right ultimately i kind of just want to become like you know a public figure that's you know here out to serve the people and teach you financial education perfect yeah. and if people want to invest with you 
mm -hmm. right? They're investors. How do you qualify an investor? Uh, so basically, you have to at least have a decent amount of cash. You have to, you know, have your budgets in place. You need to, you know, obviously qualify for a mortgage. Um, at least be in a certain like income bracket to qualify. Would you give some numbers like what the income bracket you're looking for? So basically, I'd say even if you make 50k, you have at least like 80 to 100,000. Okay. Uh, that'd be like a pretty good starting point. Like that's like kind of the basic. If you want to get a little higher, then we're talking about like the multi six figures. Oh, okay. So and you don't have to be necessarily a super high net worth individual. Yeah. Looking for anyone with capital to spare yep. and average income. Yeah, and if you're just like you know tired of leaving cash in the bank, you know not having to do anything, then I'm your guy because I could help you, you know, build in such a way that you're gonna gain out of it too. Awesome, yep. perfect. There's a surprising amount of people with like cash in the bank just sitting mm -hmm. there not not uh, not doing any work, yep. making uh, not making money work for them. Yep. Right. So hopefully Silver Talks can help with that. Yep. So definitely check them out on Instagram, YouTube, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. Thanks Johnny, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks.